Thanks for listening to this message from The Block KC. The Block KC exists to help young adults build their lives on what counts. We believe that is Jesus and what God has revealed in His Word. We'd love to see you next Thursday, 7 p.m. at Lenexa Baptist Church. Now, let's listen to this week's message. Block Kansas City, how we doing? Hey, tonight we'll be continuing on in our second to last message for Practically Speaking. Uh, if you're just joining us, like Charlie said, my name is Nick Swearingen. I'm one of the directors here at the block. I'm also the Young Adults Pastor here at Lenexa Baptist Church. Uh, and if it's your first time here, we are going through the book of James, and it has a lot of practical wisdom for our lives. So we're really excited to uh, continue on with this series. And over the years, as I've been working with the block and doing young adult ministry in general, I've learned a couple very helpful questions that I like to ask when I'm talking to other young adults. Because if you're going to talk to someone about spiritual things, you want to ask questions and really discover where they're at. And you want to kind of figure out where they're coming from so you can help accurately point them towards Jesus. And one of the big questions that I love asking is, what are your goals in life? I'm very purpose-driven as a person. Uh, I like deep conversations. But really, this question just helps reveal the direction of people's life. Now, not everyone thinks in terms of life goals. Not everyone has a little 3 by 5 note card sitting on their desktop monitor of their five top life goals and priorities. That's just something that I've done for a while. And I get not everyone's like that, and you don't have to be like that. So I'm not saying that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to figure out everything for your life. Uh, but I've learned you've got to ask that question a couple different ways if you want to get the right answers out of people. Another question that I like to ask that uh, kind of is a rephrasing of this question is, what gets you out of bed in the morning? And people will start to think about it, and they'll start to answer. Another way that it's said is, what are you working towards these days? What's something that you're excited about? What do you want to accomplish in life? And really, these are all very similar shades of the same question. Where are you headed with the course of your life? What's your life direction? Where are you going? And sometimes I get really confused looks. People are like, ah, I'm not going anywhere. I'm just hanging out here. I'm like, no, no, no. Where are you going in life? And they're like, ah, I didn't know I was going anywhere. I'm like, okay, well, that's a great starting place. Now we know. Uh, but mostly you get some good answers, right? Most people have a plan and a goal for their life. Some people say, man, I want a big house. Uh, I want the wife, the kids, the fancy car. That's my goal in life. Great. What would, uh, some people say, what would make me happy is achieving uh, work-life balance, achieving wellness. That's my goal, is that in this season of life that I would just be okay. Another good goal. Some people, I've heard this legitimately, I would just like to not be sad or lonely anymore. It's sad. I was grieved when I heard that. I was like, oh, wow, do you need a hug? Like, I'll... Come here. Um, but a lot of people will say job security, success, great friends, fun vacations. Some people say following Jesus, early retirement, being a good person. I've heard bodybuilding. Uh, so many different things that you can hear. Everyone has been working towards some kind of goal. And hopefully, as I was going through that list, hopefully I said something that now you're thinking in your mind, okay, I, I've identified I have a goal. You, you might be one of those people with no goal. And you can just say, my goal is not one at the moment. And that's fine. We're starting with that. But normally, that's what you want to do if you're helping someone figure out their life trajectory. And then I always have a second follow-up question. And this one gets a lot more blank stares. What's your plan to get there? And people are like, oh, uh, plan. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about how I was going to get my life goals. Other people have like, you know, their whole thing laid out and they're telling me by year one, I'm going to do this. In year five, I'm going to be here. In year 15, I'm going to be here. And there's really a, a broad spectrum of where young professionals can come across. But sometimes you'll hear, I hadn't thought about it. I had no plans. Other people will say, uh, I want to work harder. Some people say, I want to save money. I want to begin to earn more. I want to work my way up through a company. Some people say, I want to read the Bible. I want to know Jesus. I want to hit the gym. I want to get the right romance. I want to find some more funny memes to send with my friends because their goal is entertainment like five minutes from now. I'm like, that's a, that's a goal, man. That is a goal. Good. That's a goal. It's a goal. Whatever it is, though, to hit the goal in that moment, 
Again, I don't know how you relate to that, but hopefully now you're thinking, okay, what's my goal in life and also what's my plan to get there? Or maybe, again, you're just realizing I've got no goals and no plans. There's going to be encouragement for you tonight, hopefully. Uh, And the reason I start here is because where your life is headed and how you plan to get there will determine your destination. The roads that you choose through life will determine where you go. And I'm not just talking about whatever milestone you're looking to hit right now. Your milestone might be 25. Your milestone might be 30, and it comes way faster than you think, just so you know. Your milestone might be marriage, might be parenthood, it might be job success, it might be retirement, whatever it is. But also in addition to this destination that we're looking at on this earth, we also want to look that we have a destination for eternity. And I know you might be thinking, man, some of like my coworkers invited me here, and now you're talking about eternity. Like, I did not want to contemplate existence tonight. I was looking to meet some single people. Like, what are you doing trying to talk about forever? Like, I'm just trying to say hi to someone. You might not like to think about it, but the reality is, is that God has created us all with an eternal soul. And a lot of times we don't bring it up because it's not something that we see and it's not something that we're confronted with often. But really, here's the deal. God gives us one shot at life. And we all only have one opportunity to make the most of the life that God has given us. I'm not about to start quoting Eminem, but that's what's what comes to my mind. And God wants to make sure that we use that shot well. And it's not only for us, right? But he wants us to use this shot well for our friends and our family, potential children, coworkers, people that are looking at us and following in our example. And so tonight, we're going to be looking at what James calls two kinds of wisdom. And we're going to be looking at what God has to say about life goals and plans and these destinations that we're led to by these goals. And see, God is going to point out that life is short. And my hope is that tonight, every single one of us would consider, what am I living for? We would consider, where is that taking me? And how am I living as I'm on that journey? And again, it might seem a lot. You might be thinking, man, I, I didn't know I was going to be thinking about these things. But hey, that's the book of James. He's just kind of in your face and he's bringing up things that you didn't know you were going to be thinking about. And as a, a teacher of God's word, I want to hopefully get us in the right mindset as we're getting ready to look at God's word. So we're thinking about our life goals, our life plans, and where we're headed. So with that in mind, now that we've kind of gotten ourselves there, let's take a moment and let's pray. And then we'll hop right into James. Heavenly Father, we, we know that you have a plan for our life. God, I know that you have a plan for each and every single one of the, the men and women in this room. God, I know that you did not um, have any accidents in your life, God, and so you have sovereignly ordained every single person to be in this room. And God, I just pray that would you uh, do with your word in each and every single heart, God, what you want it to do. God, don't let these be my words, God, but let this come from your authority, God, and what you've said and the words that you've established from before the beginning of the world. God, the wisdom that you have put into practice, God, would we just be humble and would we be able to seek it? God, would you help us to see what we're living for, what we want, what are our desires, and also the course that we're headed on? And God, most importantly, would we see that in, even in light of very hard truth, that you're a good God and that you have wonderful things prepared for those who love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's get started in James 3.13. Starts off saying, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life and by the deeds done and the humility that comes from wisdom. James starts off with a question. It's really interesting. Who's wise and understanding among you? Who here feels like they know what they're doing? Who's got a plan? Who's got the way marked out? And this word understanding, it's actually the Greek word epistemon, and it carries the idea of expertise, carrying the knowledge of an expert. And so James is asking, hey, how do you know that you're living a wise life? How do you know that the goals that you're shooting for and the plan to get there is being done expertly? How do you know that you're spending it well? How do you know that you're on the right journey? And he's causing us to ask as his readers, how do I know if I'm living a wise life? What would tell me if I'm an expert at life? I know a lot of us probably don't feel like experts at life, 
But we want to begin to gain some expertise as we're walking. And God is saying, hey, that's available to you. That's available to have confidence in the way that you're journeying through this life. The decisions that you make, how you spend each and every day. You can feel confident about these things. And he says that this comes from two kinds of wisdom. The, the choices that we make and how well we feel like we're doing comes from either one of the paths that we can choose, but only one of them leads to the life that God offers. And so the goal is that we read this is, okay, am I living this life and am I seeking the right kind of expertise? Am I moving the right direction? Am I spending this life well? And I want to pause right there uh, because it can seem on the surface very arbitrary. I recognize that. Uh, I don't know where your background is. I don't know if you grew up going to church. I don't know if you're familiar with the Bible at all. But James is setting up what uh, is a two-option situation here. And if we're honest, it can feel like it discredits a lot of our goals and plans. Right? For, For someone to say, okay, there's only two right choices, or there's only two choices in life, Makes us kind of be like, man, I, I don't know if I agree with that. Like, there are a lot of routes that I can take throughout my life. And the real issue with this is that most people in our society, and to some degrees, us in this room, we are programmed to see the world through a plurality mindset versus an absolute mindset. The current line of thinking in today's age, it's called postmodernism for those of you who uh, enjoy philosophy. It's really everyone has their own experiences, everyone has their own background and their own ideas, and so everyone gets to determine what's wise for them. And we shouldn't tell people how to live their life, and we shouldn't tell people that there's one right way for them, because that would discredit their experiences, that would discredit what they've felt and what they've been through and what they think. And a lot of people would say, okay, like, you can't have one expert in life. You can't do that. Everyone can find their own way. That's called postmodernism. It rejects absolute truth. It it acknowledges plurality of human reasoning. But the issue with this line of thinking is that God created wisdom, and God is a God of absolute truth. And so really what we see is that this desire to choose our own life and the way that the world is headed is away from God because it shows that people are not thinking uh, in terms of right and wrong, think or not, people are not thinking in terms of black and white, which God has set up to be true. People are thinking, I want to kind of figure things out for myself. And again, you're probably like, I didn't know I was also going through a philosophy lesson tonight. We're not. That's all we're going to talk about. But I want to say that because we need to recognize that this can be offensive to us. We need to recognize that sometimes I don't want to hear, Nick, you got two options. I want to hear, I can figure my own thing out. I can do what I want. And even as a follower of Jesus, sometimes I'm like, God, I think I know what I'm doing. You should let me live my life how I want to. And so really what James is saying here, though, is that there's two choices. You either have the choice to follow God's plan for your life or the choice to follow your plan for your life. And I think we could all agree that that's the case. We can either follow our plan, which could be any number of things, but it's still our plan, or we can follow God's plan for our life, which is found in the Bible. And it would be so incredibly narrow-minded and unloving of God to make us choose that unless the truth that God is a good God who desires our best. Unless God is a good God, then that would be narrow-minded. But thankfully, God is a loving Father. God created us uh, to bear His image. God created us with our best interest in mind. And so before we go any farther in James, we need to understand God wants our best. God really desires us to have a life of joy, Not a life that's easy, but a life full of love and commitment and of relationship to him and other people. And that's exactly what James says when he says this in verse 3.13. Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done and the humility that comes from wisdom. James is calling back to chapter 2 when he says, Faith in God, which means friendship with God, which means life to the full, comes from faith, which is proven by deeds. And then he calls back also to chapter 1, where he says that we need humility to accept God's word to us. He calls back to chapter 1, where he says every good and perfect gift comes down from above. So already in James 3.13, he's recapping what he said, and he's saying, hey, God is good, God cares for you, and if you believe in God, you should humbly follow his word and show it by how you live. What does this look like practically? 
right? Because that's all well and good, but we got to know, okay, what does this mean for me tonight? It looks like seeking the Bible is our path of life. It looks like taking a look at the, the words in this book and realizing that God sent this to us. And do I order my life by this book or do I do what I want to do and treat the Bible as a suggestion? It looks like pursuing Christ in what I do, not that everything has to be going to church or everything has to be, I need to be at the block all the time. I always got to be having my Bible open at all hours of the day. But instead, it's wanting to honor Christ in how we live. Wanting to honor Christ in our workplaces, in our relationships, how we spend our money. And that's the path of God's wisdom, is that we would honor God and experience the fullness of life as we live. But the other path is outlined in James 3.14, as he continues. It says, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Specifically, when he says, bitter envy or selfish ambition, Ryan Mannering talked with us last week through James 4, 1-10, God describes exactly what bitter envy looks like. If you weren't there, you should check it out on Spotify. But really, bitter envy is a life lived focused on our passions. It's a life lived focused on our desires. And really what James calls it is spiritual adultery. It's cheating on God by desiring the things of this world instead of God. And Ryan's point was that we need to check our passions and we need to draw near to God. We need to desire God first above anything else in our life. And so that's the bitter envy, and we're not going to talk about that anymore tonight. But what about that selfish ambition that James talks about? The selfish ambition, uh, the words in the Greek, it comes from the idea of the desire to put yourself first. It reflects uh, this politician or businessman who is trying to weasel their way up through the ranks of the government or of the company solely for the purpose of putting themselves first. Solely for the ability to get ahead of everyone else not really uh, caring about other people around them. That's what this word selfish ambition is referring to in the Greek language. And really what we would call this in today's world is just looking out for me, putting myself first. I'm, I'm taking me time. I'm looking out for number one. And James is saying, if this is you, if you talk and you live in a way that's for your own benefit only, don't be proud of that. That's not wisdom. Don't lie and act like that's not how you're living either. Don't try to cover it up with a, ra- a couple random acts of goodwill towards other people. James is saying, hey, if you're living a selfish life, you need to be very careful. You need to be on guard. And it's hard to recognize in our own lives, right? Because most of us would probably not admit or even feel most of the time that I'm being inherently selfish. Most of the time I'm not trying to climb over other people to succeed. And at work, I'm not necessarily looking around thinking, who can I put down to build myself up? But James is actually going to see that it actually goes much deeper than just our random thoughts throughout the day. And it really goes with the course of our heart. What is our heart after? And he's going to expand uh, on envy in James 4, 1 through 10, but then he's going to elaborate on selfish ambition in James 4, 13 through 17. So the next chapter, James is going to talk about this selfish ambition. He says this, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. Now, first glance, it can seem like God is calling out people who make plans. God is calling out people who have a business plan, and that is not the case. God's not calling out people who are trying to provide. Uh, He's not calling out people who are trying to make ends meet. But God is calling out people who make their plans in a way that ignores God. The person who says, today or tomorrow, whenever I want, wherever I want, I want to go to this or that city, and however long I want to, I want to do my own business however I want to do it, and I want to do it so I can make money for me and look out for myself and meet my own needs. Life is about me. I don't need to seek God. Main lesson number one, a wise life seeks God. A self-focused life is godless. The wise life is focused on following God through faith in Jesus Christ. 
but a selfish life makes plans with just no regard to God. It's as though the person is a functional atheist is the term that I've heard it called. There's no acknowledgement of God. And we don't really use this term godless or ungodliness very often. Uh, but there's a book by uh, a man named Jerry Bridges. He was a naval officer, engineer, Christian author, great man of God. He wrote this book, Respectable Sins, and he gives this definition of ungodliness or godlessness that has stuck with me for years now. He says this, Ungodliness may be defined as living one's everyday life with little or no thought of God or of God's will or of God's glory or one's dependence on God. And it's not that, you know, all we have to do is go to church and read the Bible and act super spiritual. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying ungodliness is refusing to recognize God in the moments of our day. It's when I check my bank account, do I depend upon God? Or do I depend upon my own hard work to provide for myself? At work, do I act in a way that seeks God's glory? When I make decisions, are they based on what the Bible says? And if the answer to these questions is no, then we have godlessness in our hearts. And some of you might be thinking, man, I'm not a follower of Jesus. And so that would be normal for the way that you're living. But for some of us, if you are a follower of Jesus, to recognize that we have godlessness in our heart goes against who we are. If we call ourselves Christians, then we need to recognize, I should not have godlessness. And I should be working towards acknowledging God's will for my life. So to make this personal question, we can ask ourselves, is my goal or plan for my life done with a focused pursuit of Jesus Christ? Is my goal or plan for my life done with a focused pursuit of Jesus Christ? And we can have so many different plans for our life and goals, but we have to ask ourselves, do I want them for me so I can live stress-free or, or be balanced or have the freedom to do whatever I want or buy whatever I want whenever I want it, however I want it, or do I have these goals so that I can bring glory to God and to love other people around me? And do I achieve them in a way that brings glory to God or is obedient to God's word? The issue is, as young adults, we're a lot of times driven by our own desires, right? We feel the pressure of what everyone else is doing around us, and we kind of feel like we've got to keep up. And we feel like, man, I, I don't want to be left behind. You know, I don't want to go all in maybe with what they're doing, but I need to, I need to do a little bit for myself, right? I need, to, I need to put myself first sometimes. And what happens is, is it causes us not to look up at God, but to look down at ourselves. And we become focused on the temporary instead of the eternal. And we become focused on the earthly to the exclusion of the spiritual. And what happens is as a result, we ignore that there's a spiritual reality. And we ignore that there's an eternity and we ignore that there's a God who desires a real relationship with us. And why do we do this? Because relationships and vacations, right? Things that we can see, money, things that we want to buy, these are right in front of us, right? We can see those. We feel the need more acutely than we do the need to focus on eternity. At night when we feel lonely or when we're checking our bank accounts or when you're coming down off of a fun high after social time on the weekend, they're not necessarily bad things, but they become bad when they cause us to fo lose focus on God. And the cares of this life choke out the desire to know God in our lives. We end up so focused on ourselves that we disregard we were made in the image of God and that we are eternal beings with eternal souls. And we disregard that we have an eternal destination based on the wisdom we choose to follow. And some of you here tonight, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're like, man, that, that sounds like a lot. But think about it. That's exactly what happens. We live our life kind of focused on either the here and now or maybe just a couple of years down the road, but we don't ever spend time thinking about what's going to happen after death. What's going to happen to me a million years from now? What's going to be there when I'm gone? <laughs> you might be thinking, Nick, I don't want to focus on eternity, right? Like, I, that's far away. I'll deal with that when I'm 30. I'll, some of you are like, please don't say that. <laughs> I'll deal with that when I'm 40. I'll deal with that when I'm 50, when I'm 70. Right now, man, I'm just trying to have a good time. 
Like right now, I'm just trying to have friends. I'm just trying to work hard. I'm just trying to establish my career. Right now, I'm just trying to focus on me. And this is why James gives us what is most, probably one of the most shocking but most important word pictures about the brevity of life here on this earth. It's actually the current slide that's up on the screen. It says, why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Our lives are called a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. That's a life. That's our life. That's our life in comparison with eternity. Whether it's 25 years, whether it's 50 years, whether it's 90 years. When you compare it with forever, it goes by the same. And it goes by quickly. Main lesson number two, your life is far too short and far too precious to God to live a godless life. When we get so focused on the here and now and we watch the mist going by and we try to catch every single little mist droplet and we try to make the most of all of it, trying to focus on our plans and our goals and our desires, we miss out on trying to focus on God, on trying to get to know the God of the Bible, on contemplating eternity forever. And as a result, this causes us to become short-sighted. And if you're trying to navigate yourself towards a destination, looking down at the ground is a surefire way to miss it. If you want to get somewhere, you keep your eyes on the target and you stay focused on that and you walk towards that. Occasionally, you might look down to make sure you're going the right way. But if, if you start looking down, you're going to start to stray all over the place. And when you look up, you'll realize, I got to a place I didn't want to be in. James is saying the brevity of life should cause us to stop and look up from our lives and ask God, what do you want with me? What's your will for my life? And then we focus on the here and now in light of the destination that we're moving towards. James 4, 15 through 17 says this, Instead, you ought to say, it's the Lord's, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. James is saying here, we should be seeking God's will. If we don't, we are putting ourselves first. There's no two ways about it. Either it's my will is at the top of my life, or God's will is at the top of my life. And if not, we're boasting and we're bragging. That word boast, it's the idea of putting yourself above others. That word brag, it's the idea of empty rejoicing. Presuming that just because things are going for well for me right now, things are always going to be good for me. That just because I'm having success in the today, that for eternity I'll be fine. And the stability of life here on this earth. And James is saying to ignore God's will for your life is sin and it's pride that assumes I'll think of eternity later. James is saying you are not guaranteed eternity. Or you're not guaranteed more time before eternity. And God is trying to get us to focus on the here and now. I have a friend, Andrew, who serves here at the block. And uh, he actually had a tragedy of losing one of his friends in a car accident several years ago. And it really showed him the shortness of life. And I asked him to text me the story because I didn't want to try to do it justice myself. I'd, I wanted it to come from him. Uh, so I have Andrew's text of kind of the account of what this did in his life. You can see him on the screen. Andrew says, one night the summer before my senior year, I was out at a party with some friends and I began to sense that something was off. My friend Bryce and I headed in for the night and I was texting one of my best friends, Jack Roche, at the Ch in Chicago confirming what time I was to pick him up from the airport in Kansas City. That was the last text I would send to him. I woke up the next morning to a phone call from a friend telling me that Jack had been hit by a car and had passed away just 30 minutes after I had last spoken with him. The next week at the funeral, I looked at my dead friend in his casket, and I looked at my life and how I was living, and I asked myself, if that were me in that casket, where would I go? Would I go to heaven or hell? Life on earth is so short in comparison to eternity. My life on earth could end tonight, but I will live with Jesus forever in heaven. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, met me right where I was at and wrapped his arms around me and provided so much comfort and love for me 
in times of grief through community here at the block and Bible study group through Journey and has used the story of tragedy for his will and for giving me the opportunity to relate to others who have faced similar loss or may have been angry at God. I'm constantly reminded of the power of God and the shortness of life on earth because of what God has walked me through, but it has and will continue to be used for his glory and has changed me into the new creation I am today. Andrew Edrington. Andrew also sent me a picture of him with his friend Jack. As Jack's on the bottom of the screen, Andrew's up on top. Jack was 21 years old when he passed away. And when I was talking to Andrew about this earlier today on the phone, I was like, I, we both agree, man, we don't want to share this story for shock value. We don't share this story to elicit an emotional response, but we share this because life is short. We share this because we never know if we have tomorrow. And so we have to ask ourselves, am I acknowledging eternity? Do you know where your life is taking you? Because God cares about you so deeply that he put this hard truth of the brevity of life in God's word so that we would ask ourselves the hard questions. Where is my life headed? What path of wisdom am I on? Just like Andrew said, where am I going if that's me? Is it the path of a humble and obedient life towards God? Or is it the path of selfish ambition and bitter envy? Because James is going to point out to us exactly where that path leads. And it's very heavy, but it's very important that we recognize where this path takes us. James 3, 14-16 says, But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly and spiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. See, all the world is going to call selfishness wisdom. It's going to say, that's what you need to do to get ahead. And your desires, my desires call my selfishness wisdom. It feels good to get what I want. It feels really good to work for what I want and not have to worry about other people. Just live my life how I want it, when I want it, whatever I want to do, whatever seems good in my own eyes. I want to take the vacations I want to. I want to retire when I want to. I want to get stability when I want it. I want enjoyment on my terms. I just want to have a good time. Why do I need God for any of these things? That's the thing that the world sells us. Just when I was in Mexico two weeks ago with my wife, we were riding jet skis. I love jet skis. But the thought kept going through my mind, wouldn't it be great if I found a job that let me have a lake house and let me have some of these jet skis so I could ride them whenever I wanted to. And the thought crossed my mind, but man, probably God's will for my life wouldn't let me have that. I'd probably have to do my own thing. And in that moment, I remember thinking, is God's way really worth it? Man, this thing is so fun. Think about the joy that I could have. I'm reminded I'm not free from the temptation of worldliness. We never are. It's always distracting. It's always pulling at our hearts. And James says, that's not wisdom. That's not truly wise to live that way. He says, every good and perfect gift is from above, but selfishness, the drive to get what we want apart from God, it's only focused on the temporary. He says it's earthly. He says it's unspiritual. It disregards God. He says it's of the devil. The word literally means demonic. It's satanic. And that is strong language. But you might be wondering, whoa, why are we calling selfishness satanic? Why are we calling it demonic? Why would God say that? Surely it can't be that bad. But that was Satan's downfall. Satan wanted to be like God. He was created as an angel with lots of authority, but that was not good enough for him. And he wanted God's position. And he wanted to rule on his own terms. To build his own kingdom. And not seek the glory of God which he was created for. And make no mistake, Satan is very real. And demons are very real. And we may not experience them the same way that the Bible talks about. 
But the Bible says that the enemy is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And the enemy would like nothing more than to drag as many humans as he can into his call to focus on themselves first. Put themselves first. Build your own kingdom. Do what you want. And it's in direct disobedience to God's call to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Because God created a focus on Him to be where fullness of life is found and a focus on other people to be where we find true joy. But Satan's like, no, 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 no. God's lying to you. He doesn't want what's good for you. You build your own kingdom. The wisdom of the world, the devil, we can follow it, and it might be fun in the moment, but it leads to the devil's end. It leads to destruction. Let me take away number three. Selfish wisdom leads to evil in this life and eternal death. Now again, this is really heavy, but for those of us who are following Christ, you need to know, do not miss this right here, your eternity is secure because of Jesus' death and resurrection. If there's nothing that you did to earn your salvation, there's nothing you can do to lose it. And you are secure in Jesus Christ because he's chosen you. But the enemy would love to make you as miserable and useless here on earth as he can. And so what does he do? He tempts us with selfishness. Why? Because that leads to disorder and every evil practice. When I start focusing on myself, my standards for how I speak to other people, like Luke talked about a couple weeks ago, goes down. And I say whatever I want to say, when I want to say it, and I justify it by saying, I'm just a harsh person. That's just how I talk. The way that I treat other people, the way that I work, if everything's focused on me, It only leads to further and further sin. And it's an attempt to lead us into evil so that we're not drawing near to God like Ryan talked about last week. So that we're not getting close to the only source of good in this life. And we don't experience joy in the midst of hardship like Luke talked about at the start of this series. And really what Satan wants is for our lives to get so messed up and our churches to be so ugly and our community of believers to be so full of disorder that no one outside would want to be a part of it and no one inside is ever happy. He wants to bring dishonor to Christ's name and despair to the Christian. That is the end of evil for the Christian here on this earth. But for those of you who aren't following of Jesus, though, the enemy would love to have you have the same end that he has. And I I don't love talking about this, but this is what's true. And I would rather choose faithfulness to God's word over comfort or potential reputation. So if you're here tonight and you're new to the Bible, I just want to say the Bible has some very strong words that it's about to share, but they're set out of love. And not everything in the Bible is like this. Christians are not always heavy like this. We, we have a lot of fun, actually. But tonight we need to examine seriously the eternity that sin leads to. The truth is that God has prepared an eternal hell for Satan and his demons. The book of Revelation tells us that. But it's also prepared for everyone who chooses to follow Satan's wisdom over the saving wisdom of Jesus Christ. And people who reject God's goodness and authority on earth, if they say, God, I don't want your goodness, I don't want to follow you, God says, fine, you can have it your way. And then they experience an eternity apart from God's goodness. And James 5, 1 through 6, gives a very sobering picture of this reality. It says, now listen, you rich people, not people with money, but people who have chosen to trust in money for themselves to save them. People who have chosen to trust in themselves versus God. It says, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who are mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent people who are not opposing you. James is saying this is the pinnacle of a selfish life. This is what it leads to. 
A rich person who has robbed the poor, who has taken advantage of the innocent. They lived on luxury here on this earth. All that's left for them is weeping and wailing and misery. And there's no more possessions, and there's no more parties, and there's no more self-seeking. There's only fire and death. The biblical teaching of hell is that it is an eternal lake of fire. Selfish wisdom leads to evil in this life and eternal death. This should be really painful for us to wrestle with. This should be a very hard truth. This should not be something that any of us in the room ever look at with how feelings of sadness and grief. But that is the devil's end, and that is the end of everyone who wants to follow his path. But there is really good news. And if you're here tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to tell you that there is a lot of hope. And it seems really dark and really full of despair right now, but this is what makes the gospel of Jesus Christ beautiful. You believe in Jesus as your only hope of salvation. You admit, just like Andrew said in his text, that we're sinners. And we're selfish and we're headed towards destruction. But we realize that Jesus loved us so much that he gave the ultimate expression of love on the cross. And when you look at that picture of hell, you realize Jesus took all that death and all that misery and all those tears and all that pain on himself for one moment. And he took it and he bore that pain, the weight of everyone, all eternity of hell. And Jesus bore it on the cross and he said, I'll pay for it. And he said, it's finished. It's done. And anyone who believed in Jesus would have eternal life. Jesus took our sin and our death, and he gave us the gift of his life and his righteousness. He took the punishment of God's wrath and hell, and he paid for it. And instead, he gave us a life of righteousness and connection and friendship to God. And if that is not good news, I do not know what is. Because all we have to do is we just tell them, I want that. I want that kind of forgiveness. I want that freedom. And so the question for you is, have you believed in Jesus Christ? There is no other action point for you if you're not a follower of Jesus. And can I just offer to you, I, I, I know that this might be the first time you've heard it. You might have heard this a lot of times. But there is no better time than right now to follow Jesus. Life is far too short. So I'm going to do something that I don't normally do. I'm going to pray in the middle of the talk. And if you are sitting here tonight and you feel like you want to follow Christ, just tell God that. So bow your heads with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that if there's anyone in this room tonight who doesn't know you, God, would they understand that hell is a very real place and the devil would love to deceive them and lead them there so they would experience the weight of their sin and the weight of their own choices but God, would they please see that there is hope in you? Would they please see that the joy and the life and the love that's found through Jesus Christ? And would they realize that it's free and they don't have to do anything and they don't have to clean up their lives? And God, if there's that person here tonight, God, I pray that right now would they just look at you and realize, I want you, Jesus. Would they submit their life to following your wisdom and your word and they don't have to have it all figured out and they don't have to have their life cleaned up? But all they need to do is start walking on that journey right now. And God, we pray that this would be on our hearts, God. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, God, would we be bold to go out and tell other people about this truth, about this good news that we have been rescued, and we've been saved, and we have been given new life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Y'all, if you've made the decision to follow Jesus, and you're, you're also just here tonight, and you've been a follower of Jesus, can I tell you that there's some very good news for you. Life continues to get better and better. Not easier and easier, but it gets better and better. So what do you do if you're a follower of Jesus or you just made that decision to follow Christ? Here's what you do. Remember Jesus' death on the cross for you every single day. And remember that he didn't stay dead, but he rose back to life and that you can know the living God. 
And we have a relationship with him. And every single day, whenever you want to, you can talk to the eternal God of the universe. And you can present him with your anxieties and your cares and your desires. And you can go to him because he's a loving father. And you can live a life of joyful selflessness and service to that loving God. And I recognize that that's really heavy. And I recognize that the stuff that we've talked about, you might not want a matter of life or death. But eternity is so important. So I want to finish as we close with the beauty of Christ's wisdom so we can leave realizing that there's encouragement and there's hope and there's good news in Jesus Christ. Further than what we've just talked about, God not only gives us forgiveness of sins, he not only gives us a clear slate for eternity, but listen to what life in Christ is described as in James 3. James 3.17 says, But the wisdom that comes from down from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate and submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow, a peace, or who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. That is what a life of eternity focused on Jesus Christ looks like. It leads to a life that's pure. God is slowly transforming us and removing that sin over time so that when we reach heaven, we'll be pure before him. And all the pain is gone. And you don't have to deal with your sin anymore. And slowly throughout this life, he removes that. And it leads to a life of peace and stability. And it doesn't come from my inner strength. It doesn't come from my ability to grit my knuckles. It doesn't come from my circumstances, but it comes from remembering my eternity is secure and God's in control. And so you have peace in any situation and joy in trials. It's submissive and considerate. It's more focused on other people putting their desires first. It's full of mercy and forgiveness and good fruit. And it doesn't show partiality. It doesn't try to use people based off of social status. It doesn't try to use people based off of what kind of money they have. It's a genuine life of love and joy towards all around you. Final point, Jesus' wisdom leads to fullness of life now and forever. Doesn't that sound like a good life? A life that's full of purity, a life that's full of peace, a life that's full of love and genuine friendship and connection with God and with other people. If you're a follower of Jesus, ask yourself the question, are you living in that kind of life? Because that was bought for you on the cross. And there is nothing that can keep you from that. And so the question is, am I drawing near to God like Ryan talked about? Am I increasing in purity? Am I experiencing peace? Am I setting aside my preferences so that other people can know God? Am I welcoming and forgiving and genuine? And not because I've made myself that way. Not because I'm trying really hard to clean up my life, but because I love Jesus. I'm spending so much time with him that I'm just becoming like my Savior. And I'm asking him every day in humble dependence, God, make me like your son. Change my life. Make me into the new creation you've already said that I am. Live each moment to the full, not for our own pleasure or glory, but for the joy of knowing the God who loves us. And then really quickly, because we talked about the, the weight and the eternity of hell, I want to paint for a picture the eternity that God has prepared for those who have faith in Jesus Christ, because this is what gets me fired up. This is in Revelation 21, and it's talking about heaven, the, the place that all believers will go to be with God one day. Listen to the words of this. They're not going to be up on the screen. Just listen to this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. A life that we live in eternity with no tears and no pain and no sickness, getting to see God face to face. That is what God has promised to those who love him and accept his son's Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful gift. And so tonight, if you're wondering what your application is, here's a couple. How do I choose God's wisdom and to live for God's will in eternity? Right here. One, reflect on what and when you're living for. This is true for all of us in the room. Reflect on what and when you're living for. Two, read God's word and ask him to guide you each day. 
We don't do this because we're trying to act spiritual. We don't do this because we're trying to learn everything in the Bible right at once. We do this because we need God. We need his wisdom every day. And finally, three, trust in Jesus' death on the cross for you today and every day. As the band comes out and as we pray, ask yourself, what are the goals and plans of my life and are they for me or are they for God? What eternity am I living for? Where am I headed? Remember, there's hope and wisdom and eternal life found in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just, God, we acknowledge that there's a lot of heavy truth. God, we acknowledge that there's things that we we don't understand, God, and we don't get. But God, we know that you are a loving God. And God, we know that eternity is a long time to be separated from you. But God, I just pray, would each and every single one of us tonight, God, contemplate eternity. And God, would we have fun later and would we get to talk to people? God, we know that you want that. But God, more importantly, we know that you want us to have a secure eternity with you. And then we can focus on the things of this life. We seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and then these things are added to us as well. And so God, for the person in the room who's feeling really heavy. God, would you just remind them that there's hope? And God, don't let any despair or lie that, that they've done too much, that, that you don't want them. God, that's a lie from the enemy, God. And would you come in and break that and show them the truth of your love for them? And would they submit their life to following you? And God, if there's someone here tonight who is a believer, God, but they're not living in the wisdom that you offer, God, would they just realize that they can have a free and clean slate every day. Your mercies are new every morning. You're faithful. It's not because we're great. You're the one who gets us there. And God, would this cause all of us to live for eternity? Would we live for the things that matter? And God, how we work and how we do everything from the little things, buying groceries, how we wake up in the morning, how we treat the people around us to the big things, who we date, who we marry, where we live. God, would we do them in submission to your will? Not trying to figure out a a magic list of what we need to do, but would we do them in a way that reflects glory to your name? Because all glory and honor belongs to you, Jesus. I'm so thankful for you saving my life. God, help us just to worship you now in light of that truth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.